You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. There's a lot on the ticket this morning, so we'll get straight into it. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. We are staring down the barrel of another Christmas. That's, that's a good thing, hey? And we're second week in to a sermon series called It's All Good. And that refers specifically to the good news that the angels brought to the shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem back a couple of millennia ago. They said, we bring good news of great joy for all men, all men being a non-gender specific term for the human race. And although there was a lot of mystery and drama and fear and a certain amount of wonder that night, the news that the angels delivered was, is and always will be the good news, the best news that is possible for us as humans. I really think in this cultural moment, people ache for good news. They ache for it at a personal level and they ache for it at a cultural level. Have you ever been waiting for news? Maybe you've you had an, you're waiting on exam results or maybe a diagnosis or maybe a job application. And while you're waiting, you're sort of, you're static, you're stalled, you're in neutral. You, you don't want to do anything or make any plans and then suddenly the good news comes and it's releasing, it's invigorating, it's empowering, it's liberating, yeah? That's what good news does. But we actually had a preliminary to this good news. 700 years before Jesus came along, Isaiah predicted it. He said that it would happen. He said that Jesus would come in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is actually a prediction 700 years before it happened. The prophet Isaiah predicts a baby who would change the world, that God would send a wonderful counsellor. God spoke to Israel in the Old Testament in visions, in pictorial language. It was a way they could hold what he had said in their imaginations. The Bible is full of God giving imaginative pictures to his people of what the world is supposed to look like. God created this world and he had an original design and so he kept, he kept speaking about it to, to his prophets. And that's what the prophetic brings. It brings the ability to pre-think and pre-believe God's word. And so that's what happened with Isaiah. When Isaiah foreshadowed is a big deal, probably the biggest deal, the biggest birth that ever was. This is what John the Apostle said was the word became flesh and dwelt among us or in the mirror translation, the most accurate tangible exhibit of God's eternal thought finds expression in human life. And that human life was of course, Jesus, yeah, okay, say it, it won't hurt you. The Son of God puts aside his status, his position, his authority, and becomes a single cell. He goes through a human birth process, and through his life, his death, his resurrection, he re-inherits everything that he laid aside, and he re-inherits it on our behalf. And he says, hey, guess what? You get to be participants in all of this. All that I've won for you, take it. That's nothing but good news. You know, sometimes at this time of year, people come into settings like this looking for good news. And sometimes all they get is bad news about how bad they are and how distant they are from God. That's, that's not good news. It's part of the news, 
but it's not all the news. And sometimes they get mediocre news, like it's, it's okay to, you, you, you can earn your salvation by attaining a certain level of behaviour. That's mediocre news, not good news. The good news comes in the name Emmanuel. It's a compound Hebrew word, im anu el. Im is with, anu means us, and el is short for Elohim, so with us God, or where we get the phrase, God with us. When God comes to Moses in the book of Exodus, he comes as I am, but when he comes in the New Testament, he comes totally different. He comes as the with us God. That's what he wants to be. He wants to be with us. And we're going to explore that theme briefly this morning. The arrival of Jesus on the planet affects us on so many levels. It, it deals with our past, our present, and our future. See, you just aren't an accident or a footnote. God planned you from before creation. And he has that plan that is laid out. And he wants you to walk in it. And Jesus coming along enables us to slot back into that destiny that God designed before that time. Maybe you're here this morning because this is your habit on Sundays or maybe you're just here because something in the atmosphere of Christmas has drawn you. Whatever reason, whatever brought you here, we're going to take a bit of a ride through a Christmassy story and see what we find out of that. The season that we're in at the moment is called Advent, if you're into church seasons and that sort of thing. And that might sound a bit, a bit high churchy, but there really is a lot in it. Advent is traditionally a time of preparation and expectancy. We might think it's a time of year that's consumeristic, nostalgic, family, holiday time. But if you look at the themes of Advent, the themes of preparation and expectancy, it takes its rightful position this time of year. If we are expectant and if we are if we are prepared, that's how Israel was at the time when Jesus came. They were expecting the Messiah. So, preparation for what? Expectancy of what? Hasn't Jesus come and gone? No, Jesus is always coming to us. He's always coming to us because he has more. He has increase. He has much more than we have now. Wherever we are, he doesn't want us static. He wants us moving. He wants us moving to the next level. Yeah, get excited about that. Come on. And, and he's coming to us in our wins and our defeats. He's coming to us when we're on top and when we're up against it. He comes to us when we're in grief and when we're in joy. The actual word Advent means coming. That's what it means. This season is all about Jesus coming. And he is, of course, coming again. Whatever situation we're in, Jesus is coming to us. He is the Alpha and the Omega. From him and through him and to him are all things he's coming to us. I always need to live my life with expectancy and preparation of what the next thing he has for me is. And he's not just coming to pat us on the back. He's not just coming to say, keep going. He's coming to bring us that life that he planned. So let's look at this Christmassy story in the book of Luke, chapter 1. I'll just give you some quick background. After the book of Malachi, the Old Testament closed. That is, the number of the books in the Old Testament was fulfilled and the inspired prophets stopped speaking. God allowed a period of time for the teachings of the Old Testament to penetrate throughout the world. And during this time, it's like the curtain was closed and he rearranged the scenery behind the curtain and he opens it up, New Testament, first book, Matthew, and everything's changed. The power has shifted from the east to the west. Rome is in charge and God's people hadn't heard his voice 
for around about 400 years and then bam, it starts happening all over the place. He speaks again and how emphatically does he speak? He speaks through angels all throughout the Judean countryside. There's comets in the sky, signs in the earth. The Messiah was on the way just when they least expected it. God picks a priest called Zechariah from the unfashionable hill country of Judea for the first angelic visitation. And he speaks to him and tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to give birth to a child. Now, they were old and barren, hadn't had children at all. So this was the first miracle. And that that child would pave the way for the Messiah. And then the next visitation comes in a remote rural town called Nazareth, Luke 1, 26, the Passion Translation. Let's read. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favour. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this might mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest, and the Lord God will enthrone him as the king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you, and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. When, when you think of Christmas, what first springs to mind? Is it, is it shopping? Is it parking? Is it family gatherings? Is it holidays? Or is it this? Those things are easier to think of than a virgin giving birth without a man being involved. Aren't they? It's easier to think about chestnuts roasting on an open fire than what actually just was described in this passage because that takes faith. But if anyone is struggling with the idea of that that virgin birth, then just consider the fact that we are meeting in a church 2,000 years after the the prediction, so it has some staying power. It has the ability to, to gain traction, yeah? But when you read this, do you not get the idea that Mary's response is almost premeditated? It's almost like she was expecting it, that she knew something was happening. I mean, the angel gives her an explanation and she just goes... Yeah, okay. It's like that. It, it's, it was almost the angel. Gabriel must have walked away from that thinking, well, that was easy. Yeah. Probably than he expected. But what do you think Mary thought those words meant? What do you think was in her mind? What was the angel trying to tell her? Who did she think this God was who was speaking to her? God with us. Call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Let's deal with the God part. Mary knew her God. We think of her as this peasant girl who's probably between 
the ages of 13 at the least, 17 at the most, who is not allowed to read the Bible, is not allowed to learn to read, only picks up what she can in the synagogue, she must have picked up a lot. Because if you scroll further on forward in the chapter, you find Mary uttering this prayer that's called the Magnificat. And it is just chock full of theology. She quotes the Old Testament 15 times, 15 different scriptures. She references the Psalms, the book of Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Ezra, Ezra 4, which is an apocryphal book, Genesis, Isaiah, and 1 Samuel. She picks up on the theme, the theme of reversal, that God lifts the poor and humbles the powerful. When Mary tries to describe God, she uses the language of Exodus and the prophets and Abraham and the covenants. This is a woman, a girl actually, who knows her God. She knows he's a good God. She knows he's a powerful God. I mean, if, if he was a, a vile, vindictive God, then it'd be like a, a scene from Alien, wouldn't it? You know, she wouldn't want to be pregnant with that baby. It'd be like, get this thing out of me, you know. And it, but it's not because she knows her God. She knows he's good. If it fell to us to, to bring a song of praise... How would we do? Would we, be able, would we be as competent in that with Mary, as Mary is? Or would we just say, thank you, God, you're good. Now I need to go to my Bible app because I've run out of things to say about you. Would it be like that? But she is something else. She is not this lightweight. She's a heavyweight in the spirit. Mary knows the established word of God. So when God comes and speaks to her, a freshly spoken word, it's a familiar voice. It's someone she knows. So that makes it so much easier. She's prepared. She's also expectant. Every girl hoped for this visitation. And when she responds, she only asks one question. She doesn't think about the 10,000 other things that are going through her head, like, I live in a town of around about 200 people. It's like a suburban street here. Everyone's going to know. What's my fiancé going to think? How's this going to look? She doesn't focus on the difficulty because difficulty must always be measured against the capacity of the one doing the work. So that's God. She knows her God. So that's the God part. But what about the us part? So how do we as humans respond to God? I read a book recently that, that said there's four common ways, four main ways that human beings respond to God. There is a secular response that says, I don't need God, or there is no God, or if there is a God, he's distant, not interested in me. But among Christians, there are three other responses. The religious response, where you try to manipulate God with your performance. The consumer response, where you want to just get what you can from God, and if he doesn't deliver, then you go and find another God. And the activist response, where you transfer your need for recognition onto God and you get a sense of drivenness because you can't sit still because you feel you'll be insignificant. So the us part of it is messed up. Us can be a Christian for 20 years and still not walking closely with God. The us needs constant contact, needs constant contact with him. And so we come to the with. What does God want from us? He's created us as complex beings, but what does he want from us? He just simply wants to be with us. That's it. First and foremost, to be with us. Then the good stuff comes, yeah? He, all through the, the history, 
of the Old Testament. You see God's plan. And he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He just wanted to be with them. When the children of Israel left Egypt, he came and dwelt in a tent with them because he wanted to be with them. When Solomon built a temple, God came into that temple because he wanted to be with his people. That is his, that is his desire. The God of this universe wants to be with you in this time. So here we are in this season of Advent that's a busy, flat strap, full gas time of the year. And while we're hurrying and scurrying around, and before you know it, it's all over. It's New Year. We're back at work. We're making resolutions. It's high volume December, followed by self-improvement January. And we miss the thing that God wants to do, that miss the thing of observing what he has done and we just we get caught up in the secular observation of a holiday season but he wants to be with us he wants to be with us he wants us to draw aside so what am i asking you to do nothing just asking you to celebrate and revel and delight and rest and enjoy the fact that salvation has been accomplished through the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus and it's free and he wants you to just be with him. To turn aside, slow down, take time. It sounds like a song. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. He's in the slowing down. He's in the quiet. So can we take a deep breath? Can we rest before we head into the craziness and just behold the miracle? The good news of Emmanuel, the with us God, God with us. It's just about being with him. Yeah? We're going to pray. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. So I'd love to pray for you this morning, just for you to have a, a fresh encounter with the love of God, the grace of God and the presence of God. Maybe you you're a Christian or maybe you're not but you really don't have an experience of God with us maybe you've been trying to please God with your own religious performance and maybe you have to just let go and trust in the grace of God with an act of surrender and say okay God come what may I just surrender to your grace and maybe you've seen God as a genie and you're angry because he's not doing what you want and you just need to have the fear of God come into your heart a little bit where you realize that it's actually about him and not about you and maybe you're just tired because you've been doing so much for God that you've been severed from the source of, of being with him and you just want to rest in his presence today. So if you find yourself in any of these postures, if you just sense God speaking to you from anything this morning, can you just respond in your own heart and, and begin to make your own prayer to him? Maybe stand this morning just for a moment. Can, we just, can you stand? Can you stand? Maybe just lift our hands to him. I just want to pray for you. We just say thank you, God, that you just want to be with us. Thank you for this revelation in your word, this God with us revelation. Father, I just want to pray for those this morning who are responding to you. Lord, help them to realize today how much you want to be with them. Lord, as they surrender, meet them powerfully now with the reality of your presence. May I just break through to them this morning. For, for those who are tired, Lord God, we pray for rest for their souls. Father, for every family represented here, Lord God, we pray for a God with us time over Christmas. 
in Jesus' name. And we all say... Thank you for listening to this podcast.